listening to the MST Podcast. When my story is told, other stories can unfold. It's still uncomfortable for some people to talk about. You're old enough to raise your right hand and join the military. We're old enough to talk about sex. Then maybe we need to think about that we're not ready for this situation. Once you tell your story, you might give others the strength to do so. That's how I found the strength. I wasn't ready to deal with my MST. But when I started hearing others start telling their stories, there were other survivors. And when they started talking to me, I was like, I'm not alone. And then it was this real openness that I can deal with this. There would be help. Wait, say that one more time. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for letting me, allowing me the opportunity to share my journey. I didn't make him say that. <laughs> you did not, no. <laughs> so we were like chatting a yeah. little bit. If we repeat things, you know, is that okay? Yeah, I know. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We got to um, get it on tape. That way yeah. everyone can hear. And so they know that before we don't just show up and it's robotic. We actually have a exactly, conversation. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of like in the previous podcast, Kevin wouldn't tell me or Nick, they wouldn't tell me we were recording uh-huh. and we'd be like shooting the shit. You know what I mean? Like talking it, you know, talking. And that would come up as like a little bit of like pre banter. Yeah. Like, have you listened to any of the Longest War podcast? And I still need to. I, and they're going to get me for the fact that I haven't. I've been here like nine months now. <laughs> <laughs> is that your actual dog tag from service? It's or? not. Um, this, this is from, uh, the University of North Dakota, I did a veterans entrepreneurial uh, program with them out in North Dakota, and this is what they gave all the vets. And so I didn't, I lost my dog tags. And so this was that little bit of a reminder of, of that. You know, I lost my dog tags too. And I think I was at some museum or somewhere, like some gift shop where they you, they had like an old dog tag machine and yeah. they like did, my, did it exactly how it was oh. done in the Navy. And I know for sure that Soldiers and Sailors Museum here in Oakland. Okay. Is it Oakland or Oakland? Oakland. Oakland. Has a old school dog tag machine. Oh. And I know that they make them. I am totally going to do that because that was one of those, that one moment that remind, that one reminder of why I served and, and very proud of that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and I love the back. Not love it, but I just find it so intriguing. The background of why there's two dog tags. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And it's for like they put one on their shoelace. Yes, and they kept one around their neck, right? Yes, in case and, and, they're and identification purposes. And right, in so, case they were blown in half, yes. and they only found. I mean, I just it's yeah. morbid, but I found that. You know, one of those things that you're like, oh, the military, how'd they even come up with that? It's more, but it's really great for the families when that, the, when that does happen, when they can have their loved ones return home and we can, and they can be, and everyone can be honored. Yeah. So. And I know that those are important to the family. Like they, yeah. they really appreciate when they get those home. Yeah. It's okay, Katie. We're just kind of, we didn't actually start yet. I didn't do the intro. No, I know. Oh, do I need to say this is Timothy Jones? Yeah, we're going to do that. Um, I was just getting some of that pre, oh, but the pre-jitters banter. out. Yeah, yeah. Then we can like a little uh, shake it off and now we're ready to go. <laughs> I love that song. Taylor Swift, T-Sizzle. I was just listening to, okay, so the first time I ever interviewed someone um, on on Longest War podcast was Nikki Renee. I was in Philadelphia at the time. And after that interview was over, I was driving home and I just had like so many emotions because my mom was actually there and we were, they were kind of all crying. And I think Nick, Nick was there. He actually almost cried. He was like, oh, give wow. me the name. I'm going to take care of this <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, but I was driving home and scars to your beautiful came oh. on oh. and that just like hit me. Like, yeah. um, let me be your mirror. Help you see a little bit clearer the light mm-hmm. that shines within. Cause I always tend to sit like we're directly across from yeah. someone you're interviewing, good eye contact yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And that just resonated, um, yeah. with me too. And that's how, um, the, my story told, 
and others can unfold kind of we were working on that to make it like reflective mm -hmm. like once you tell your story you might give others the strength to do so it's very yes. brave to tell your story and it's, it's not easy for those who have told their story it's those that have helped find me because that's how i found the strength to start telling my journey because when i first went into the va system it was all about being homeless. It was all about, you know, the back issues that I'd had. I wasn't ready to deal with my MST. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know what to expect from it. I was terrified. I'm still terrified today. But when I started hearing others start telling their stories, when I was in the transitional housing program, there were other survivors. And when they started talking to me, I was like, I'm not alone. And then it was this real openness that I can deal with this. And in the, in the hope that I, if I did disclose this, if, this, if I let this out, that there would be help. And that was the biggest fear. It's like, I'm gonna be, what, how am I gonna be looked at? And how am I gonna be treated? Because I, I know what that felt like from mm -hmm. what happened to me in the military. So, yeah, I, I completely yeah. understand. And like yeah. two things you said, like, okay, it took me forever to even admit to myself that I was raped. Yeah. Like I thought, you know, you think it's your fault. You know, yeah. you've heard those things before, you know, and, and I felt that way too. So I was really scared to even say it yeah. until I went through that therapy and got, but that was like 10 years later, yeah. you know, after I got out. So, and when it happened to me on, I read a little bit of your background. So like when it happened to me, they're like, oh, she's just a whore, yeah. right? Like she, you know, she actually just, you know, did it or what I said, no, like this was not the way it was, but I, exactly. I know you underwent some scrutiny too, and you were made fun of and made fun of scrutinized. It was, you know, I'm less than my manhood was questioned as far as why I was not able to defend myself. And what did I do to bring this upon me? And yeah. then at first it was, how dare you say this about a Marine? And, and I was, you know, I'm not talking about the service. I'm talking about the individual. I didn't know this individual. I was preyed upon and this happened. Mm -hmm. And so how can it always, how can it be on me? And then at first I got a little support mm -hmm. because they're like, we got to catch this guy. But as it, the days turned into months and the time gone on, went on, it was, it was less of a sexual assault and more of male on male action. And that meant when that mentality shifted, that was very um, apparent. Like I could deal with everything that the military that the that comes with the military life i that's why i chose to serve I laying yeah. down for someone who doesn't know me mm. doesn't like me or agree with my lifestyle choices but that's we're american and yeah. i was okay with that i couldn't grasp having another service member who took the same oath that i took that could prey upon another fellow service member exactly because there's supposed yeah. to be that trust there exactly. there's supposed to be like the whole concept of like you're not there for your own life, but for your brothers and sisters on your left yeah, and right. We hear exactly. that all the time. So to be assaulted by one of those on your left or right, yeah. I didn't understand it either. You can, how can you grasp that? I, I couldn't. And I was yeah. so young and like it was it was my first class petty officer. He made chief. Yeah. He, I got transferred wow. off the ship. He got promoted. You wow. know, go yeah. Navy. Just kidding. But no, that's really what happened. But he um, at that time, I was like, he was supposed to take care of me. Yeah. He was my first class petty officer. You know, like, why yeah. would he do this if he's supposed to take care of me? So I completely understand where you're going with that. Yeah. Well, we didn't even actually start yet, but I'm, <laughs> this was a lot of good stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Welcome to the first episode ever of the MST podcast, My Story Told. Today, we have Timothy Jones, U.S. Navy veteran and a very good friend of mine from here from Pittsburgh. Welcome, Timothy. 
Thank you for having me. So I'm so glad to have you. Do you want Timothy? Timothy is what Timothy I prefer, is good. Yes. Okay. It took me a long time to get to that to to who I am and strip down to just who I went through different name changes. Uh, <laughs> okay, name good. Changes. Good, Timothy. So I know you're a Navy veteran. Yes. Um, and know you're very handsome. <laughs> but Thank other than that, time. like, tell me a little bit about just where you're from, lifestyle stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, uh, hello everyone. I, my name is Timothy Jones. And I'm from a small town called Graceville, Florida. Uh, I like to tell everyone it's a five. It's five miles from you don't know where it is, and ten miles from you can't find it on a map. But it's uh, 130 miles east of Pensacola, Florida. Okay. And I grew up there in a very rural environment, and I ended up moving to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where my uncle was stationed in the army. And I ended up graduating from Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and then from there uh, entered into the service. And so. Uh, I come from a very a military family. My grandfather was a Marine. My brother was a Marine. My uncle was Army, and my aunt is in the Air Force. And so I wanted to complete the trifecta, and I joined the Navy. <laughs> How do they feel about your choice to join the Navy? Oh, my goodness. My mom's first words were, uh, son, you don't know how to swim. <laughs> And I was like, well, sir, I was like, mom, they, they told me they were going to teach me how. And she was like, well, make sure they teach you how to swim first. And I was like, okay, I didn't, maybe I didn't think this through. But it was an I remember at boot camp, did you have to jump off the high dive in the yes. pool and then swim to like the raft or something? Yes. <laughs> how did you do with that? I, well, I did good. So uh, everyone in boot camp, they were razzing me when they found out I couldn't swim. And there was this one shipmate who made it his mission to make that the most excruciating part of, of boot camp for me. And when we got there, everyone was there I'm like I'm gonna fail in front of everyone and he was in front of me and he goes to jump off and he freaks out and I'm like oh he can't swim either and he completely deflected upon me and he just jumps off and he flails all the way down and screams and he splats splats in the water <laughs> and I'm like oh my god that hurt and then I realized I'm not gonna do what he did so I, I jumped off. I didn't scream. I arms crossed. It, like arms the, yeah. crossed. And, and I did really well. So Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I remember that moment. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. Like, you remember the movie The Guardian where the Coast Guard, they're making them all tread water in the pool and they're oh, doing yeah. a lot of activities. Yeah. That didn't happen with me. Like, they did that. As long as you could jump off the high dive, swim yeah. to the raft and get your butt in that raft, yeah. you're pretty much good, right? Oh, I had to tread water. <laughs> like, oh, you I was did? doing good. And then real, and he was next to me and he starts. Uh, he starts oh, we like, did have to tread, didn't yeah. we? Because I went to boot camp in 2000. You went in 99? 98. 98. Okay. Yeah. So we, we probably had a very similar experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so we did have to tread water. I have like water. blanks in my memory. I don't know if this happens with you. I hear it's a part of PTSD, like yeah. like um, memory lapses. Yes. So we did have to tread water. I wondered why I was so good at that. Well, you know, I was like, I'm, I just tread water. I'm good. Um, and you're right. I do have uh, lapses. Yeah. And there's things that I remember perfectly. Then there's things that I don't. And then I I shift the dates and the times. Me too. Yeah. So like sometimes if I think it's then, it might be a few months afterwards. Right. So I've heard that's like a protection mechanism of our brain. Like a certain like forgetting things was yeah. is like our our psyche's way of like protecting us from like hurtful or painful things. Exactly. And I thought that was pretty interesting when my doc told me that. Yeah. that that was normal, you know, because I was like, damn, do I have like early onset Alzheimer's or something? <laughs> yeah. was, no, this is a normal symptom. Like, yeah. again, we're talking 10 years after the event, like exactly. like we were saying. Um, so let's get back to, so you went, you joined in 1998 yes. out of yes. Kentucky and you I, went to Great Great Lakes, Illinois, I yes. guess, for yes. boot camp. Did oh, you go in the summer or the winter? Or? I went in during the summertime and then I came out in the winter time. Me too. I, I went in August. Yeah, August, September is when I went in and I came out November, early November. 
and it was yeah. cold. It was. I when we graduated, <laughs> I left my gloves in my sea bag. Oh no! And I, my hands were freezing cold, oh, and oh, I no. couldn't wait to get to Mississippi because I was like, oh my god, it's so cold. <laughs> I'm gonna catch hypothermia. <laughs> That's where your A school was in Mississippi, yeah, then. Yeah, Meridian, Mississippi. Wonderful. I, I just want to say for the record, it's so nice to be interviewing a fellow Navy vet because <laughs> a lot it's like with Army guys and Marines, I love them death, but like I don't know, we don't have the same language, you know. Exactly. It's always a butt of a joke. Like we th- we call things scuttlebutts and bulkheads, and they're like, oh, you Navy people have these weird words. Well, exactly. I'm glad to have that familiarity with you. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of nice. It's a nice break. So then, what was your um, what was your rate? Uh, I was a YN, I was a yeoman, and I went in as an E1, and I was really good at my job because I I was meritoriously promoted in boot camp and meritoriously promoted again twice. So when I went to A school, I I came in as an E3, it was such a wonderful release, and so now I only had like nine months to wait before I could... um, uh, Strike free for exactly, yeah. And I made it the first time. Really, so, yes. we have we're like twinning because yeah. that's the same thing that happened with me. Like I think I got out as an E three, and then I went. I struck for E four, and it was like a ten percent chance I was a machinist mate. But I got it the first time. Yes. But I think I had to like I was in like the delayed entry program or something, okay. and I think I had to like recruit someone else or uh, to get like that next bump up to E two. Yeah. But yeah, coming out of A school as E three doesn't it's pretty cool. It's yeah. it's so it's the only way to it's, go. It's the best. Uh, I always I like to tell everyone I got I made in less than two years and that was my goal yeah is to do that and yeah. i was like i was i was rocking it out yeah that's all, and was that your highest rank that you accomplished uh, petty officer yes. petty officer yeah, yeah. Third oh. class. so can i call you petty officer jones i mean you can <laughs> but you won't answer but me. i won't <laughs> no you can i am a petty officer i'm third class but, right, uh, very right. proud of that oh me too do you remember the day you got your crow i do yeah oh my god it was it was so amazing just to be like, oh my God, I'm Penny Officer now and have that distinction. I was 20 years. I knew I was going to do 20 years. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to make Master Chief. That was the goal. Yeah. You so, make a good Master Chief. Oh. Well, how long did you end up staying in? I was only in 27 months. Okay. So it was, and that kind of goes into why we're talking right. today. Right. But um, I was in during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And yes. I know I did a little bit of research uh, on your history and you're a motivational speaker. You have so many. I couldn't even, we don't have enough time to even list all your fabulous attributes and, you know, your transformation. But um, I just, I want to hone in on like, so I was in during 2000 and I don't know when it changed to whatever it is now, but during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, like, give me an example of like, you know, something that might have happened that, you know, would. Well, back in my day, because uh, I was in a little, I when you were coming in, I was get coming out. Okay. And so we the culture of the military was vastly different than it is today and than, than it was in 2000. So in, in 1999, we had a series of incidences that happened across different branches. Barry Winchell in the Army was tragically taken. He was beaten to death with a baseball bat because of the impression that people thought he was gay. Um, and so that was a very, very toxic environment for now they're killing brothers and sisters because mm-hmm. of a perceived orientation. And then before the, a couple of months before that, my friend committed suicide over in Japan. He was a fellowship mate and he was being discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So the fact that he was being discharged for a lifestyle and then chose to, he was in, he chose was the wrong word, but was an, amaz- in, in a, an amazing person. But I watched the light come out of his life Yeah, and seeing so seeing that happen because he couldn't be who he was. And then as I started going through that, it was a very different time in our military. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I'm very happy that service members don't have to worry about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, because back then, it 
I mean, it's so sad when you can't be who you are oh, yeah. and, and be accepted for that and be in a place where you're in a dark place where you have to no longer be here. Yeah. And so that was the, the culture that right. I served in. Ugh. I'm so, so I'm sorry to hear about your friend. It's devastating, yeah. to be honest with you, like just for being yourself. And um, so I'm sorry to hear about that. Yeah. But I the few that um, as I was going through my situation that was really there for me, that was a, yeah. a blanket. And when I lost that, I didn't really have a lot. You were, you were stationed in Mississippi. You went to school in Mississippi, and then mm. you were stationed in Florida. Oh no! Oh, wait, Japan. I was in Japan. That's yes. I was in Yakuska. Oh, I was in Iwakuni. Oh, oh my god! god. We were like we were like passing like ships in the night, weren't we? Yes, Timothy? we were. Oh, like literally, <laughs> <laughs> probably. Um, all right. So, I appreciate a little bit of background for our listeners, and you you know you referred to your incident. So let's just get it out there. Let's dive in. Um, how long were you in before you were sexually assaulted by another member of the military? Wow. Wow. Um, I got to Japan in March, mm -hmm. and in May, I started getting phone calls. I got a Japanese phone number, and then all of a sudden, I would just get a, vo a call, and the voice on the other end would just be like, I'm watching you. <sighs> and I would be in, you know, and it, I would, it scared me. Yeah. And then I was in a relationship, and, uh, and I would just get these random calls. And then one night, I, I got a call that changed my life, and that was from, that happened in, Started in May, and I think for June, July is the time frame that I was sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. And it started, I got another phone call, and then the voice just simply said, I'm watching you right now. And it scared me. It uh, had chills in my bone because you know, you've been it's in terrifying. Japan. terrifying, yeah. yeah. And the clubs in Japan are not huge. They are very compact and yeah. small. So if someone's saying that, you're like, "Who? where are you? Because I, yeah. I interacted with you. And that was terrifying. And so I walked home that night, and that was the night that I, I forgot to lock my door. And I, I woke up with a six foot five ma Marine on top of me. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my, I'm so sorry. That's, uh, that's terrifying. So someone was stalking you and then attacked you that. And how long did the stalking go on for? It went on for several, like uh, several weeks, and uh, before I, and well, after, or yeah, um, before and then afterwards, I didn't get any phone calls because then now that I had reported the incident. I didn't want to report the incident, and I was thankfully had some great fellow service members who kind of said that the wording that I needed to hear that said if you don't report it, it could happen to somebody else, and that kind of got me into action. Yeah. At that time, did they have restricted reports and unrestricted reports? Do you no. remember that? No, they had none of that. Then. Right, because so, I don't remember that either. Like, I remember just knocking on my command master chief's door, the CMC, and like going into the office and sitting down and telling someone what happened. Exactly. Does that kind of, how did you do it? Uh, so since I was on a Marine Corps base, mm -hmm. so it was that was the other thing that I had to navigate was the Marine world and the Navy world. And so um, we told and reported it to our gunny, which is similar to what would happen in the Navy. And then my, my gunny, who was very kind at the time was going to was very supportive but also there's only so much that you know he could do before the higher you know higher ups you know have to get yeah. involved and so there was no secrecy no privacy it got when i reported it everyone in the barracks knew and so that's what changed and in the era of don't ask don't tell it was you are who you hang out with so if you're hanging out with someone that's uh, perceived to be homosexual mm -hmm. you are homosexual so some a lot of individuals didn't want to be a part of that and didn't know how to handle it did you feel like ostracized from your unit and your shipmates and did you get 
beat up? Like, what did they? I got a lot of uh, hazing. So I got a lot of the, the conversations that took that were taking place. They were placed, the verbal hazing. The I was hoping hazing. no one like tried to. Oh no! I, it, it escalated to physical. Uh, there was I was in a club. Um, actually, that's why I stopped going to the club on base because I went one night with friends, mm-hmm. and there was this lance corporal who just started verbally assaulting me in front of everyone, and then went into physically trying to physically assault me until someone stepped in. And then they just said, like, you need to leave. And yeah. they were forcing me out. And so they I, made you leave. They made me leave. And then when I left, I said, I can't ever go back there. And then I was fright, fearful of running into them. And so it escalated uh, other complaints and other verbally abusive tactics to the point where they needed to remove me from the barracks for my safety uh, because they're now attempting to beat me up. They would leave um socks in a form of male uh, genitalia on front of my door Ugh. and it was just it, it escalated so when i moved into the barracks where the indoctrination took place it was because if you came to the base and you were being indoct you knew nobody right so then you knew you they wouldn't mess with me did that strategy at least work to keep you safe it worked until you got every out of couple, japan uh, it worked for a while until like they started as soon as the people would meet and they'd be hanging out and uh, we'd, we'd talk they'd go to their barracks and when i go to their units that was when the relationships ended because it was always uh, the target was on me, yeah. and so I had to stop eating at my regular chow hall. I had to go to the other end of the island just to eat lunch, and it was different units. And those commanding officers were really much more accepting. So some of the rules they knew that I would I had made friends there, and they mm-hmm. were very uh, protective of me, and they they didn't they were very. Uh, supportive good and so those are the ones that really kept me uh, going and kept me alive thank god for them yeah. thank god for them so how long did you have to wait until you got transferred out of japan or did you get out of the navy at like through because i had to go to san diego like yes. i went there that's that where you went to i ended to up out? um uh, puget sound in seattle okay and so i went through that case with the with the assailant and then my name came up again and then i was discharged in november and then my last date was December 5th of 2000. And I did read, and I hope it was accurate, that your assailant got six months in the brig. Yes. And what was the rest of the punishment? That was it. That was it? A dishonorable discharge. A dishonorable discharge. Yeah. Right. So. And so I'm hoping that legislation, um, I think it's from New York, from our female senator in New York. I can't remember her name right now, but. Oh, good. Senator Gillibrand. Gillibrand. Yeah. Yes. She's pushing through, like, so that hopefully now that reprows can get handled outside the chain of command. Yes. Because I want to see a lot of other things happen to that man yeah not six months in the brig and then a dishonorable discharge you know like that's not enough it's not did you feel like it was enough i didn't and i i i don't feel it was enough but i there were so many other things that were taking place it was a a whirlwind yeah yeah that that was a a uh, injustice but then the treatment afterwards were like i couldn't work out his treatment because I couldn't, I, there were so many things that now all of a sudden my dream of serving my country 20 years was yeah. getting ripped from me. Mm. And so then everything that I had known to be who I was, was gone. And you so, had to have make a whole new plan. Yeah. And you were, just so you know, like strong, there's not a word, but strong, you know, you were so strong to get through that, through that hazing and through that time. Because when I went through that period, like the period, like six months before I got out, I mean... 
I had suicide attempts, drug and alcohol abuse, things like that. And I know nothing takes it away, you know, no matter what you drink or, yeah. or do, like nothing helps with that. So your strength. And I'm just glad that you made it out of Japan. I know I was so relieved when I got out, Yes, um, made it back stateside. And e but even then, because I wanted, I joined at 17 and I was like, I'll retire by 37. Yeah, I am yeah. a badass. I'm a certified badass. I'm going to be like 37 and uh, retired and get a boat. Yes, you know, like I was like, exactly. I had my whole plan and it's gone. Yeah. Um, and you were, how, how old were you? I was way? 20. I went in at 18 and you then were... I was assaulted at 19 and then I was discharged in tw at 20. Um, just a few months before my 21st birthday. So you're, you had a bit of a whirlwind, um, a war, like your life kind of spiraled for, I mean, yeah. I minded too. I'm not, I'm not being accusatory. I'm just no. stating that you've been open and you've shared the fact that your life kind of spiraled for a while. Yes. Um, and it's so the incidences of the drugs and the drinking, oh, that, that happened. So mm -hmm. for a decade, I didn't want to be a sailor. I didn't want to be associated with the term sailor. Number one, I thought I had law, I had dishonored the uniform mm -hmm. and that I couldn't, I, I couldn't take. I had dishonored my family. Um, I had no identity. Who was I? And so the name changes. So uh, Jones is who they, how they call you. Yeah. Um, I didn't want anyone to know my first name because I had been stalked. So I created, so Jonesy was my nickname. So that was, that was how I would introduce myself to everyone. If you weren't family or if I knew, didn't know you prior service, mm -hmm. you called me Jonesy. And that was how I could be safe and felt safe without people trying. That way you would know, you would know how to get my phone number. Right. You know, so. It was the way you were kind of protecting yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And then when I started giving, you know, giving my first name at Tim and that's, you know, what everyone likes to call me. But that was just because I, uh, again, who who was I? Finding my identity. Jonesy was the, the wild style party kid. And, yeah. and to do what I do, to do whatever it took for me to forget what happened. Mm -hmm. And I did that. And I buried it so deep. And then I was just wild and out there. And so for a decade, I didn't know how to, to, how to come to grips. I was in um, 2004 uh, time frame. I remember a conversation with my ex. And my ex had said, uh, you know, I've been drinking. And he was like, I think you should stop drinking. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, mm -hmm. I'm the life of the party. He mm -hmm. was like, no. When you're drinking, people are laughing at you not with you. Mm. And I, and that hurts me when I see them laughing at you. And I never, never crossed my mind that that was the behavior, but that's, I, and I was like, well, they were friends. They, they liked me. And that was the lifestyle that I lived, like riding hard drugs and alcohol, just so I could be liked by people mm -hmm. and the wheels fell off. So that he, I feel like he said that out of love, that like he loved yeah. you and, and that crushed you, it that crushed that me. reality crushed you. But the what he wasn't prepared for, what I wasn't prepared for is I did stop drinking. Oh. But as soon as I stopped drinking, I was flooded with oh. nightmares and flooded with memories and flooded with pain and flooded with everything. I couldn't con uh, cope with that. And I just would want to pick up a drink and continue on. And I knew what I couldn't. And then I didn't know how to handle it. And I didn't know the word for what I was experiencing and how, you know, though this is why I was, drink I was drinking to forget. I had been doing it for so long, I forgot. And then when I stopped, I started remembering. And I'm like, and everyone would look at me and I would be, I would look fine. Mm -hmm. But inside, I was a void. There was yeah. nothing there. 
Yeah. And, and uh, you still didn't have it, um, any, you know, you had no affiliation with the VA. You weren't yeah. a veteran. You weren't identifying with any yeah. of that. You were just trying to push it away. Exactly. I've heard before sober stands for son of a bitch. Everything's real. Yes. Right. Like oh the God. feelings, like you said, flooded, right? Yeah. Like in that point in time, like you said, that's around 2004 when your, mm-hmm. boy, when your, right. your boyfriend told right. you that. What happened then? Like, did, and I know you said you stopped and all, but did you guys stay together? Like, because no. I know eventually you kind yeah. of ended up in in jail. jail or, yeah. So yeah. we broke up, um, and then there was a set. My second suicide attempt had happened at that point, and I had a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. Everything just went away, um, and it, it was really fast when that happened. And so I had made a mistake, and I had used a credit card, and I, you know, shopping, let's let's shop to, to an- mm-hmm. another addiction yep. to cope for that, and I had to own up for that. Then that was another traumatic experience for me, because I'd never really wanted to hurt somebody else, and then having to go into a jail where, oh my God, now I'm right back in the military, because I'm back with a room full of guys, who are judging me for everything. And that is not the environment I want to be in. And so I ran. I ran from probation mm-hmm. because I didn't want to, you know, all, when that Again, happened. Again, you were terrified, right? Terrified. Like, I wouldn't want to see you in yeah. jail either. I and got... in my terrifying, I was like, I was right back in Japan. That's, yeah. that's exactly what I felt, that my life is now in someone else's hands. And so it took a, a couple more years, and then I eventually came back to to Pensacola area, and, and I came back in handcuffs. But it was that moment where I say it was my salvation, because the state trooper had said, uh, when I was in the back seat, it was like, I'm a veteran too, and you're my brother, and I expect more from you oh. than this. And I don't know what's so going bittersweet, on. So bittersweet, right? So bittersweet. And he was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to pray that you get it together, that you find the answers. I can't believe he said that. Yeah. Wow. And I, and at first he was kind of a hard ass to me. Mm-hmm. But when he said that in the back seat, I was like, oh my God. But it was a halo because I had just attempted my third, had my third attempt at suicide and I did not go through with it. And there was that voice that said, don't do it because I didn't want my brother seeing what I saw when I was in Japan with my friend who had committed, with the sh- my shipmate who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And I said, my brother's gonna see the same thing. And I don't yeah. want to see how that affected me. And Is uh, that what stopped you? That's what stopped me. For anyone that's listening that I've had a suicide attempt, I'm right there with you, sweetie. Yeah. Like I'm not, I, just, I don't yeah. want to single you out. No, yeah. But part of the mission for, for the purpose of us doing this today is for people who are listening, mm-hmm. maybe to just help them to get their mind in a different state. Yeah. So, I mean, my Linus, I, you just met my dogs when you came over yeah. today. We're recording from my home. Um, Linus saved my life. Yeah. And you're saying that it was the thought of your, of your brother specifically, but your family, what, yeah. what they would have to go through? What they would have to go through. And then I thought of my friend who lost his fight. And yeah. I was like, oh no. I need to fight for him and for myself and and in jail if, if that's gonna be my saving grace. All right. Yeah. And then I met a VA rec worker there, the VA, if you are identified as a veteran, they will send someone in to see what's going on. It's like on. vet court or something, um, like does it get you through to that? Vet court wasn't there, but there was just the VA kind of mm-hmm. wanting to assist and I just shared. They were like, What's going on? And I was like, Well, I'm in jail. It can't get any worse. <laughs> yeah. So here it is. And what was supposed to be 45 minutes was three hours and 45 minutes. And she just let me get everything out that had been building for over a decade. And afterwards, she was like, have you ever heard of PTSD? And I'm like, yeah. 
but that doesn't apply to me. You, you didn't to think it. You didn't think I you didn't had think it. I think it did because you. I didn't. I didn't lose any any limbs. And, right. Um, I hadn't gone to war and experienced what the warriors experience. Right. That wasn't me. And she was like, "No, you're you're a card carrying member of the PTSD club." And <laughs> I'm like, that was, oh, "Do you remember her exact words?" Yeah, she, she said like, that. You are a card carrying <laughs> member. We're gonna get you some help. We're gonna get you some help with the legal issues, and we're gonna get oh. you some help with this PTSD. And I went back there on cloud nine. I went into the Bay Area, and I was telling everybody who would listen, "Child, I got PTSD. <laughs> Baby boy, I got PTSD. Y'all don't understand. I got PTSD." Mm-hmm. And the, they looked at me, and then it took two steps away, oh. and then they were like, "Um, he's got PTSD. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but I don't want to catch it." <laughs> So we just go let him be right over here, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I, I realized they weren't all veterans. They didn't right, know." Right, right. But it was it was the answer because now, oh my God, there's a, this is explaining how I'm feeling in my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the answer, mm-hmm. and uh, now that they've given me the answer, now I can get help for it. Yep. You know. So that was the pivot. The that thank, was the pivot. Thank God for that. Was it a woman who came in to woman. listen to you? Yes. Thank God for her soul because, listen, that there always has to be that pivot, right? And kind of sometimes when we put it, why do we name things? Why do we name a child when it's born, right? Because yeah. it gives it, 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 it makes it a, a human. It gives yeah. it life. It gives it, you know. So when you put a name on something, all those things you're feeling, that must yeah. have helped so much. It, it did. And, and then you, it's at your jumping off point because... You have such a great, you have a comeback story like yes. no other. I mean, like I said, you're doing amazing stuff now, but mm-hmm. do you think that was the moment? That was the moment. That was, you know, the real moment was when I, when I chose not to make a final choice. And so that really was the pivot. And I, I've had another, and, and to be full disclosure, I have had a, a fourth suicide attempt since then. Mm-hmm. But it was a different, um, the differences between the third and the fourth were staggering and think, uh, unpacking, like understanding that I still have to have that self-care. As far as I've come and transformed my life, I can't get complacent. No. I can't think, oh my God, I don't need the services or the help anymore, because mm-hmm. that's what happened. I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm moving past this. You got cocky, I'm, you, I got, got cocky. you got overconfident, right? Yeah. <laughs> And as soon as I did that, oh, the wheels fell off. They fell off quickly. And so I understood that I got to continue my self-care. I've got to continue with my therapy because every day is a battle and a war. And I'm going to win this war. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take back my power. Now, it doesn't look like I thought it would look when I was 19. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm 38 now. Mm -hmm. So something has worked that has kept me here. And that is that hope. When I was in jail, I had hope. Mm-hmm. I have three pillars that I live off of. Um, it is hope, healing, and action. And I've actually added a fourth. So for a long time, I just hoped that services would catch up, that through this, through stories and advocacy, that they would see what had I'd gone through and they would find me. And then it happened. And then I started healing, healing old wounds and, and doing the yeah. things that were just, that continue to be so difficult today for me. But I know that I've got to continue to unpack them. I've got to continue to heal them and forgive them and understanding that. I know your doctor told you, probably told you what they told me. And that was, I thought I was abnormal. But then they were like, I was reacting normally to a situation that was abnormal. Mm, I like that part of the healing. Yeah. My reactions were normal. Right. What happened was abnormal. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes I'm, I'm normal. <laughs> So you're reacting normally to an abnormal situation. Yes. It took me a minute to process that. I think my doctor might have said that yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. And then the third pillar, he, so hope, hope healing, healing and action. action. Yeah. So I can hope and I can heal all I want to, but if I don't do the actionable steps, yeah. then why am I doing the work? 
I got to do the work still. Uh, and that means self-care. That means doing what meditating, praying, mm -hmm. um, and putting in those actionable steps to get better every day. Because what the, what the doctor told me was, I can't promise that you'll be where you were when you were 19, mm -hmm. but I can promise that you'll be better than the person you were the day before. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I'm not where I'm supposed to be yet. But thank God I'm not where I was exactly. before. Something like that. Exactly. That's kind of my thing. And I love that your first pillar is hope. Yes. Um, I'll admit that I want to have like a radio name because my last name, Del Ricci, has been like a feud on my family. Like one says Del Ricci, one says Del Ricci. So I'm like, get rid of the last name. I want like a radio name. Yes. And I want it to be Hope Anchors. I love that. Right. Because like Huber says, hope is the anchor to our soul. Right. Or something I'm paraphrasing, but it says something like that. But your first pillar is hope. And I feel like hope, it keeps the light on inside. It like does. that's that flicker. Like, it and does. I saw the light inside of you the first second I met you, yeah. you know, and when I heard your story, I was just like, oh, this guy's amazing. So the action, and you just kept fishing for those resources and you're yeah. still doing that today because you shared with me when we were chatting before we started, you still don't have a service connection for PTSD. I do not. It is and unbelievable. I just yeah. can't believe that. It is unbelievable, but you know, I have to give a huge props to the veteran the Department of Veteran Affairs because there are so many individuals that work hard. Yeah. Uh, and I had an opportunity to meet them and they are work we're working it through work it's being worked through. Mm -hmm. And I have hope. I have a lots of hope that that's going to be corrected because at the end of the day, the truth is the truth is the truth. And you stick to that and you I stick to the hope what has kept me going these years, and that is hope. And also knowing that I'm just one of many, mm -hmm. but once one gets taken care of, so will the many. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. You were talking about giving props to the VA. Are you, you went to a national symposium. Was it uh, national or was it local it here a, in Pittsburgh? It was locally here in Pittsburgh and regional. So we give props to the Pittsburgh I, I VA. I gotta give props to the yeah. Pittsburgh They are amazing. Office. They are yeah. amazing, and uh, I just appreciate the knowledge that I didn't know, because we don't, you don't know yeah. what you don't know until you don't know it, um, but just the extra knowledge of knowing us uh, as veterans and our rights and what we have uh, access to. Um, a lot of veterans don't know that. It is unfair to the VA who gets the blame when it's not always all the VA. And right. It's, and it's also unfair to the veteran. Um, we gotta seek out the resources uh, and be our own advocates. We have to be our, uh, our advocates. I um, think I saw somewhere that you said, you know, there's tools out there and it's up to me to use them. Like, yeah. right, it's like up It's up to me to pick up the rake and rake the yard, the rake is there. Exactly. Right, but like, you know, leaps fall, they're gonna sit there unless I pick up the rake. I truly believe in that because there's, you ever seen that manual? The manual like that VA people have, it's like a thousand yeah. pages. It's like this thick. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of rules and intricacies and, you know, it's a yeah. bureaucracy. Like we all understand that, but there's something, a lot of Pittsburgh VA people must be veterans. And there's serious attention to detail there. Yes. Like the way that they're combing through your case. Um, I can't wait to hear the result. I'm so happy you have your CMP on Tuesday. That stands for comp and pension. That's I do. Um, hopefully yeah. you will be. Um, I'm, ner I'm always nervous about that, but I'm, I'm nervous because it brings back out um, those old feelings mm -hmm. and those old experiences. And I just said this to, I was having dinner last night and I just said this, that you have to have the hope and trust in the system. The system is the system, and if we don't, if we're not, if I'm not in the system, I can't change the system. And I know that mm -hmm. the system has worked, and it will, and it can work. We have to improve the system, mm -hmm. but I have hope that it will because you know, look where we are today, and, and look where I am in my life today. It's not perfect. No life is, but I am so much better than the person that I was five years ago mm -hmm. and the person that I was yesterday, just because I've had another day of experiencing this 
existence. Right. And learning the intricacies, right? Like, you know, yeah. when they went left and should have gone right. Now when some, someone else, you know, I try to import people to Pittsburgh now that I know what a strong veteran community we have here, yes. you know, especially especially the veterans of our generation, the 30-somethings, right? We yeah. have a very strong, robust and supportive veteran network here that actually caught you it as did. well as it, it was mine that, I mean, I came here on a hope and a prayer to work at a bank yeah. and, you know, ended up thankfully uh, meeting you know, we call it, we'll just say it, we call it the Pittsburgh Veteran Mafia because we're yeah. real tight. We got we each other's really back and, you know, we have fun together and yeah. we can be honest, we can laugh, we can cry. And we keep each other accountable. That's the other thing that is what I love about this community and I, what I would suggest to all other communities. I know that if, if you're not as tight, but getting to know each other and accepting everyone as who as they are, not trying to put a, you should be this this label, yeah. but in allowing that individual to grow. It's, I'm so blessed to be part of this community. I love my old, my old community in Pensacola. It was wonderful mm -hmm. uh, and it has prepared me to be here, but being here was the best decision that I've ever made and, and it's a life decision. Props to VLP for that, right? Isn't yes. that how a PA serves, a combination of PA serves, right? PA serves, and Veterans Leadership Program, um, Team Red, White, and Blue. Mm -hmm. It was this, it was this perfect marriage, uh, marriage, as I say, mm -hmm. of so resources and opportunity. Uh, I was never promised that if I moved here, this was gonna happen. I was only promised an opportunity, mm -hmm. and that is the promise that we're all given, mm -hmm. and making the most of it, finding the resources, going out, applying for jobs. I think I applied for over 200 jobs here. Wow. <laughs> but before I did that, I prayed for the right job. It I'm, came to you? It came to me. I was it thinking was you were gonna show up in your suit today, because I don't think I've ever seen you anything <laughs> but your dapper suit. Uh, I really just wanna touch on, you just said something that really affected me about not putting a label, like the veterans community here. Mm -hmm. You know, we all, I just wrote a national blog for The Mission Continues. It just came out the other day called Divided We Serve. Okay. And our nation is very divided right now, right? And we know this. And even like in this last uh, election, the mm -hmm. special election with Connor Lamb yeah. and Rick Saccone, it was neck and neck right down the middle. Our last national election with Trump and Hillary, boom, like 49, yeah. 50, right down the middle. We live in different times now. It's not cut and dry as it used to be. And I, the blog was about, you know, we're divided, but what brings us together, like especially through the mission continues, red, white, and blue is this service, this idea of service. It kind of illuminates the human spirit and binds us together. And that's what I found immediately here. It was unreal. And they knew that I leaned right or that I was, you know, kind of like this loud Italian girl from Jersey who was kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a Republican. And you have a special personality to yourself, member yes. of the LGBT community. You're yes. African American. You're all these things like what makes us us, but I never felt judged for one second. Never, and because at the end of the day, we're all human, yeah. and I, I believe in hope. I believe that although we may live in quote unquote different times, mm -hmm. I agree with that, but I think we haven't lost our essence, mm -hmm. and it's okay to have dissenting opinion because if we, if we all thought the same, that would be boring. It would be. Um, but what makes us such a, a, who we are, the great nation we live in, is that because we are so different, but we can also be respectful and tolerant to one another and, and do that in a way where we're not dividing and being divisive. Right. And that was one of the things that I enjoyed about this, um, this last election is that I see it as a tipping point, not for one side or the other, but to have real conversation and try to understand the other. I am so blessed that it's because of people who did not look like me, talk like me, or maybe didn't even think like me. I never knew that. 
They just saw me mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. And because of that and the work that they did, I was able to transform my life into where I can now speak about being a rape survivor mm-hmm. and into a thriver and live in an area where I love this area. This community is just booming. It really is. Surviving and thriving yes. in Pittsburgh. Yes. <laughs> yes. And unpacking my unpacking yeah. my my stuff to, to continue to heal and grow. And it's due because everyone's working together for a common goal. And mm-hmm. I think if we get back to that, as a, even as a larger part of our nation, as a country, we'll be better served. And mm-hmm. I, I think we're seeing that way more then we saw that in previous times where we realized that we've got to get back to what has made us special and yes. that is loving and appreciating all. That's so true. Yeah. And 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 I think like when I talk about service, I'm talking about like serving your community, yeah. volunteering at oh, service yeah. projects, doing something, re, rehabbing a school, you know, yes. like painting stuff and, you know. Lisa continues does a great job. All that kind of stuff. Oh. That that's I yeah, started a fellowship. That's how I ended up with the job at the Veterans Breakfast Club, like with what I'm doing. Yeah. And I had no idea that I was going to be doing any of this, to be honest with you. They just basically hand you a suitcase when you get here. They're like, okay, now you can unpack everything. Exactly. Unpack it here. We got you. We got you. And it is, it is that kind of community. It really is. And it's something special here. It and is. I'm glad that you ended up here. Especially. I am so happy. My family is happy that I moved up yeah. here. Um, but more importantly, it was the right move for my spirit. Because uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to begin my career somewhere. I wanted to continue to add my voice and my flavor mm-hmm. to what's happening uh, on a larger scale here. Um, and it's been the best decision that I've made. And and I continue to be wowed by wowed. all of the great yeah. work that is uh, taking place here. Yeah. And I'm seeing that from our community leaders, our, our officials. And, and I'm seeing it from the people that are from here, mm-hmm. the good people that are here and just the mentality. The action pillar, right? Your yeah, third pillar, like yeah. that taking action. Like nobody really sits on their hands around here. No, it, they, they get it done. It's like, all right, let's do this. Like, yeah. you know, an idea comes out and the next day, you know, it's happening. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, or I want to ask you your opinion. I get into a little bit about hashtag me too. Okay. I was standing in my kitchen in January with a friend, Patty. She's a fellow Navy veteran, okay. Patty Lynn, you know her, right? Yes, yes. And she's like, you need to do a podcast. And, you know, she's very blunt and direct. She's like, yeah. you know what, Lauren? You just need to do a podcast. Yes. And I'm like, okay, Patty. Like, she's like, you need to do a hashtag me too podcast. Okay. And I felt like, if not me, then who? And I did some research, right? There was no MST podcast out there. And I just felt this after she had charged me with that idea, like our fellow vets do here in Pittsburgh, yeah. like you need to do this, right? Exactly. I'm sure you've heard it before. And then you're like, all right, I'll do it. And something yeah. great comes out of it, like what we're doing right now. So what came out of that was I started kind of opening myself up to the community around here. And the founder of the hashtag Me Too movement, Tarana Burke, mm-hmm. came here. Did you know that? I did know that. You did know that. And I got invited to be on the panel there at that event, right? Okay. And meet her and sit with her and interview her. A lot of things she said struck me, but one thing in particular, and I'm so glad we we went a little longer today. I usually, I wanted to keep the episodes around 30 minutes, but I'm so glad that we took the extra time because she said, Lauren, it's not about the graphic details of the story of the rape. It's not about sitting around telling your story, so to speak. I mean, that is the jump off point, but it's like she wanted to know, and she actually said this, I'll never forget. She like looked me up and down and she said, how are you standing here? How is your hair looking so good? How are you here right now? Exactly. What is it that you did that got you from then to now? And that's what I want to know. And that's what hashtag me too is all about. And at first, I'll be honest with you. I'm like, 
no, I, uh, rape is not a hashtag. Rape is not a trend, mm-hmm. right? This You're is right. bullshit. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. all these, I was pissed off kind of at the Hollywood response to it at first. And then things changed a little for me. And I realized once my friend charged me with this doing a podcast and then sh- I realized something like this can ensure that hashtag me too is does not become a passing fad or a trend this can be a perpetual safe space for you to not only share your story but to tell us how you got from then back in 1998 or whenever 1999 till 2018 yes you know so i just want to kind of get your feedback after that little intro on hashtag me too and what that meant to you how you felt about it and where you want to see that go I was empowered by that. There's so much hope. I love the the movement. And and like you, at first I was like, what we're talking about is so visceral and so full of pain. But when I understood the process and understanding where how am I here right now? Yeah. What was my why? My why was I wanted to transform my life and the lives of others because it did take me 20 years. I'm supposed to be looking at retirement right now. Yeah. But I'm not. I'm serving in a new capacity. And then I realized that fire that was lit in me mm-hmm. was that rage of, I've got to speak out to share my journey because someone spoke out for me mm-hmm. that I don't know. And I, and that who's not sharing that that happened with them, but that is that fire so that they can help illuminate someone else. And that is what happened when I, and I said I had three pillars and there's a fourth. And that fourth one is ignition. Mm-hmm. When I got ignited. I like, like it. Oh my God, that's what I was able to move into action with. And to see so many brave women and men come forward and share their experiences of how they are, what, what happened with them and where they, have, where they are in their life, it opens, it removes that stigma. And I believe, like my mission is to end the stigma mm-hmm. that is associated. So we don't, we can't have these conversations and not have it be a, uh, it be right. a, no, we're going to, sh- we're going to talk about the story. We're going to talk about it and talk about it until the person that is still suffering in silence feels empowered yeah. to come forward and share their story. Amen. And <laughs> when that happens, then you, you remove the veil. Yeah. And I, I am so happy that the Me Too movement is removing the veil of what we thought. We put so many people on pedestals and we forget at the root of it, they're still human. And we've got to knock those down yes. to get to us as humans and, and get to us at, at our core. And, and, and as we're talking about so many different subjects, but we've got to get to the core of our hearts. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, that's where the pain lies, but the passion is right next to the pain. Exactly. Right? And that ignition, I love that fourth pillar. Yeah. I'm glad you got to it because I was going to bug you about it in a little <laughs> bit. Um, but yeah, even when I reach out to either, whether it be a close friend or so everyone's in a different place with their experience, with mm-hmm. their, their sexual trauma, specifically military sexual trauma. but. Yeah. You know, everyone's ready when they're ready. Yeah. It takes, I mean, like we talked about 10 years and stuff like that, but I'm so glad that you're in a place now that you were able to come. And I want those who are still suffering in silence. And for me or and for people I know, that's like sitting on the couch, you know, not being able to get up, just being like stuck inside yourself, wanting to do all these things, having these hopes and dreams, but not being able to take action on yeah. them. And your pillars really simplify, not simplify, but yeah. make that tangible and make that understandable, you know, like, and I just hope for anyone listening, I hope that your hope is still there. And it is. And I know, and I always believe that even if they're not taking action, they're not ignited and they're not starting their healing 
feeling yet that we are all bound, you know, as service members, there's something, you know, that there's something in the air when you get around the thick of us and the good of us, that hope is still there because we're holding it for you and we're keeping that lit for you. Absolutely. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. I think we can do that. Wholeheartedly. (laughs) Wonderful. So you're now where I like, I liked what you said too. uh, what'd you say? Surviving and thriving in Pittsburgh. So your story's not over yet. It is just getting written. Just getting started. I'm on chapter 38. (laughs) I I like that. Turn 30. I'm on chapter 38, going into 39, and I, I'm open to the journey, where it may take me. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service to other veterans. I know you're working hard full time. This is a Sunday afternoon, guys. We're sitting here doing this. So uh, Timothy took some time out today. I want to thank you so much for listening to the first ever episode of the MST podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, It's been wonderful having you here. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network.